Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. All right. Well, if you look up here, aren't you guys excited for what's about to happen? Today, we're really excited. Actually, one of our favorite services at Kalos Church is when we do five and five Sundays. And what that means is each of these five people are, are going to share with us and preach for five minutes. There is actually a countdown clock right here in the front, and they are—they have been praying. They have been uh, just really working on a word that God has given them to share with you today, and these are anointed people of God. I'm so excited. You know, we always say at Kalos, and we truly mean this, that there are more voices here to be heard from about God and what he's doing than just Pastor Pradeepan and I, and we always say, this church is not about the divas it is about good answer everybody yes it's about jesus and um these are some really powerful voices on stage and i really think you guys are going to connect with them um and so what i want to ask you to do is you have to understand that um many of these incredible people are not professional speakers and don't do this all the time but they have chosen to be very brave people and to come up here and to not just speak about uh speak about anything, but to speak about God, right? We actually gave them a very difficult topic. We've been in this series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and we're ending it today. So I called all of them, and I was like, would you speak on this topic? And they're like, is there an easier topic? Like, but they have like just done some major work in their lives. We're hearing from people who have done the work that they're about to share with you today. And so what we need you guys to do, all of us, is we need to really support them. We need to really love them. And so we need to today lean in. Can everyone lean in? Can I see you leaning? Good job. We're leaning in. We are going to laugh at their jokes, okay? So can we just laugh? I want to hear a laugh. Okay, that was okay. What about like the gut laugh? Can I hear your gut laugh? Like something just really got you. It's so funny. Can I hear it right now? Better. Very good. Very good. Awesome. And they may share. They're going to share some vulnerabilities as well. I heard a lot that, a lot of people that had tears. It's okay. Uh, but God is doing a healing work, I believe, through this series and in your life. Uh, And so we're really excited. What I'm going to do really quickly is introduce to you our speakers before we hear from them. Our first speaker today is Jeff Jennings, incredible man of God. Uh, He and his wife, Murr, moved from Michigan, where they spent many years of their life. I don't want to give away too much. Um, But they moved here because God called them out here recently, which is incredible. And he also had more transitions in his life where he actually changed his career. I'm going to let him tell you more about that when he uh, shares. We next have Busola sitting right here. Beautiful woman of God. Busola is in Seattle in this area for just kind of like a short, short-ish period of time. She's in the military. She serves our nation. She's a strong woman of God. She's on our kids team. And something very interesting also about Busola is that she is learning how to ice skate. Anyone else? Skaters out here. Hang out with Busola. Okay. 
Love that. Next speaker we have is Zach Burke right here in the middle. Zach is newer to Kalos Church. He's actually leading a small group. I was just talking to him about it. It's really powerful. The small group is called Soul of Shame. So he's been like really digging deep into all of this. Um, Zach gave me the permission to tell you that he is single, but he is not ready to mingle yet, ladies. So hang in there. Give the man some time. But yes. All right. And then we have Anna Kim Douglas right here. So excited. Anna, man, Anna's a clinical therapist, okay? So, like, she's, like, a genius in this stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, Anna, you got to teach us all of this. And so she's amazing. Her and her husband, Andrew, just bought a house recently. And God is doing an incredible work in their lives. And last but not least, we have Erica Olson right here. Erica sings on our worship team. Many of you know that. She is a nutritionist. Um, and she just told me that she has a very passionate love for disco. Okay, so we got some dancers over here. I forgot to share that Anna likes to dance in the kitchen to Encanto. Okay, so these are fun people. And uh, we're really looking forward to hearing from them today. So what I want to do, can we give it up one more time for them as Jeff comes up and kicks us off? Disco, huh? Saturday Night Fever. I love it. I love it. Well, good morning. My name is Jeff Jennings, and I want to talk to you today about my journey to a healthy response to grief and sorrow. Yay! <laughs> I, had a health, I grew up with an unhealthy response to grief and sorrow. Um, I avoided grief with all passion. I was a denier. I would just get it out of my mind. I remember growing up in my family, we would just never deal with bad things. We just kind of brush them under the rug and go on. My father wasn't really emotional. Well, actually, he had two emotions. He was either happy or he was mad. Never saw him cry. My mother would cry, but I never talked about it. And so I grew up in a family that I never learned how to process grief and sorrow. Besides which, my personality is very upbeat. I'm a half glass full kind of guy. I'm a bright and shining. We always see the silver lining and everything. And so um, my response to grief was to get rid of it as fast as possible. Just ignore it and go on. But this is not healthy. Matter of fact, Jesus himself was a man who was acquainted with grief and sorrow, right? It says in Isaiah chapter 53 here, there it is. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief, right? So Jesus responded. Matter of fact, Pastor, you taught us that verse. Everybody remember the verse? Let's quote it. Jesus wept, okay? So he was acquainted with grief, and it wasn't bad. Um, but all this began to change when I decided to become a healthcare chaplain, and um, we, we enter this training called CPE training. And in the process, what you're trained to do is to help people who are suffering. Uh, you don't, you're not taking advantage of the healthcare system if you're not suffering. People in the hospital, they're suffering. And so we're trained to help people in suffering. Well, part of our training was um, we, we do verbatims. And verbatims are something where you take an encounter that you have with a patient and you word for word, moment for moment, action for action, you bring it into the classroom to be reviewed by your peers and your educator to see how you did, whether you did good or you did bad, what you could change. Well, I went to this one verbatim thinking, I rock this. I hit this lady in the ICU. She was all despondent and despair. When I walked out of that room, she was upbeat. I was upbeat. It was great. And I was ready to, look what I did. Wasn't this great? Well, 
total shipwreck. Um, I crashed into the, to the rocks. It was a terrible experience because I missed a wonderful opportunity to minister to this lady. See, what I missed was to empathize with her. There's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Yeah. Sympathy, you feel bad for somebody. I feel bad for you. Empathy, you feel bad with them. Yeah. It's crawling down in the hole. And in the midst of that, when you run into people that are suffering, you a lot of times don't have any words to say, got nothing to say, because nothing would really fix their problem. There's no way to fix their problems. Job had the same experience with his seven friends. They came and, I'm sorry, three friends. Um, I got it wrong. Three friends that sat for seven days. They sat for seven days with Job, and nobody said a word, right? Nobody said a thing, and that was great. Everything changed when they opened their mouth. They ruined everything. Um, you can read that. But we call it the ministry of presence. So... Um, what I, what I learned in the process of this, um, funny thing was, one of the things that really taught me uh, a, a great lesson of how to express or how to un, uh, uh, embrace grief was looking at the movie, the Pixar movie, Inside Out. Has anybody ever seen that movie? That is a great illustration of how grief and sorrow are a part of our life and not something to be avoided, and they can actually help us and make us healthy. So here's the truth I learned. God wants to comfort you in your sorrow. Matter of fact, it says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians that God is the God of all comfort, right? He wants to comfort us in our sorrow. And if we're looking at something else to replace that or to fix that, we are not depending on what God has for us. Now, his, sorrow, his comfort might not come the way you think it's going to come, might not come when you think it's going to come, but God will, will comfort you. Um, and if you're choosing something else to bring you comfort, whether it's, whether it's denying it like I was or being completely overwhelmed or you choosing maybe substances that, that yeah. cause that you to get rid of the pain, you are replacing God's comfort in your life. You're right. So I want to just encourage you today. Grief and sorrow are good emotions. They're, they're, they're meant to help us experience pain, and it's not to be avoided, and God wants to minister to you in the midst of your grief and suffering. All right? It's my dream. Good morning. Good morning. How are you all doing? Awesome, awesome. As, a, um, as uh, has been mentioned earlier, my name is Basola, and this morning I will be uh, speaking on the topic going back in order to go forward and how the application of this um, concept has impacted my journey towards emotional, um, emotionally healthy spirituality. So to kind of, you know, align with the theme of going back, I've got a slide on the screen with um, a picture of me with my dad and my mom. And um, I've only got those two pictures because if I, if I were to introduce my whole entire family, we'll be here all day. So um, <laughs> and, uh, my dad has five additional boys. My mom has two boys and um, both from um, both separately. So I'm the only child of bo um, with both of them together. And if you were trying to do the math, yes, I do have seven brothers. And I did survive. I'm still alive, you know. And um, I actually, I am very grateful to have all seven of them in my life, and they play a very important role in, in my life. So um, I guess I can say that I grew up in the church. Um, my mom and I moved. Um, well, actually, my my earliest memory of being in the church was maybe about uh, five years old or six years old when I was getting baptized um, in our uh, Methodist church that, I, that we attended. Of course, it's just the sprinkling of water. It's nothing, no dipping, you know, no pool or anything like that. And um, so um, after that, 
in the course of moving around with my mom, I uh, pretty much practiced multiple religions and attended multiple churches of different denominations. And I actually did practice um, Islam, um, uh, Islam a little bit. I went to the mosque and prayed and all of that stuff, attended different churches, ranging from Catholic to Pentecostal, and uh, you just name it. I've probably attended a service um, of that denomination. And um, again, this was because, you know, my mom and I moved around a lot, and so we pretty much just adopted whatever um, religion of that family that we lived lived in. I don't know if anybody can relate. Um, so um, this series really has been challenging for me, uh, but I know that it was necessary. Um, I thought the process would be easier, especially when uh, I see our fearless pastors, pastors, uh, Pastor Amrita and Pastor Pradeepin, on this stage, time and time again, just bearing it all, you know, being vulnerable and transparent about their pain and their past. And uh, if I may, I really would like to take a moment to really recognize both of them for their courage and amazing leadership. Um, I really want to say that you are leading uh, by example and practicing what you preach. And I'm truly honored to be a member of this church and your serve team, though it may be for a short while. But I know there's a reason why God has me here. So um, while preparing for this um, message, I searched the scriptures and um, to, uh, for something to support the topic. And mostly what I saw talked about just, hey, moving forward, you know, don't look back. And I thought, hey, that kind of contradicts, you know, the topic of going back in order to go forward. But then I realized, actually, no, it doesn't. Um, so I've got four scriptures. I'm only going to read one. Um, it's from Isaiah 43, 18 to 19. And it says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So the next slide has the other scriptures if you'd like to take a look at it um, at, a, at a later time. And as I said, these scriptures really focus more on moving forward, not dwelling on the past and embracing the future God has for us. But what I realize is that in order for us to truly move forward, like the scripture tells us, we do have to visit the past. We've got to, um, um, because most of those things do not come up until they're triggered, because consciously or subconsciously, we are still holding up onto the past, and we don't realize it until something triggers it. But... Um, like I said, we must revisit it, we must address those issues, we must treat it, and important, more importantly, we must bring in the truth, God's truth and clarity into those situations. That way we can truly heal with the help of God. So I started my journey a few years ago and I quickly abandoned it because like, you know, it, it's really hard. It's really hard going back. Um, I don't know how it's been for you the past few weeks going over these series, but it's been quite challenging for me. But one thing I decided is that this time I will stay committed to that, to the course and I will um, um, proceed through. So one of the amazing things about God is that he knows the best time. He knows the best route and the best situation to put us in, in order to to get us to where he wants us to be. So, um, and really all you have to do is ask, surrender, and trust him. 
So um, for me, thankfully, God really started with the easy stuff. Uh, I started to notice um, one of the things that I did really was I prayed and I asked God to reveal to me um, what what parts of my life that needed to be addressed as it pertains to the topic. And so starting with the easy stuff, he started to reveal things to me, moments where I get triggered, um, where fear, doubt, anger was really my reaction to somebody maybe just saying hi or, you know, and I'm just like, hey, why are you upset just because it said hi? Um, and um, one of the things that God revealed to me was my past um, in terms of me moving around so much. I never really felt like I belonged. I felt like an outsider. So when people don't let me into their life in the manner that I think that they need to, I or the, the, the manner that I want them to, I get angry, maybe in the form of blowing up or most importantly, putting up walls and kind of just, you know, separating myself from them. And the other big one was in terms of um, related to um, physical and uh, sexual abuse. And what that really affected my relationship. So what God did was he would take me back to that moment that is being triggered. And that allowed me to pray about it. It allowed me to, you know, really immerse myself and um, allow God to heal me in that process. And that also gave me peace, you know, moving forward uh, with my life. So after those occurred, definitely I started to feel better and I started to feel more at peace. Um, so um, I want to quote a, 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 um, a, a prayer by Peter Scazzaro, the author of the book, where it says, um, I pray that God grants you the courage and wisdom to learn from your past, but not be crippled by it. May you, like Joseph, be a blessing to your earthly family, your spiritual family, and the world at large. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, in closing, I would like to encourage you and challenge you to invest in your mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Um, seek help, get counseling, and most importantly, ask God, um, ask and trust God to help you through the journey. And I will read one scripture as I close out from Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So be rest assured that he is with you as you go through this journey. Amen. Hi, friends. My name <clears throat> is Zach, and I'm up here because I want to share on letting go of power and control. I do want to start, though, with making it clear that letting go of power control is not something that I deem myself to be especially good at. Um, nor am I going to end this five-minute session with how I think you can start to get better at it. Because honestly, I don't really know how you're supposed to get better at it. I barely know how I'm supposed to. But what I do have for you this morning is my story. And I'm hoping that what makes this story so applicable and hopefully powerful for you is that I am right in the center of it. It isn't something that I went through and am now past, um, but rather this is something I am dealing with today and I know I will be tomorrow. Now, I am going to transition into a time of vulnerability. You ready? Here we go. 
About two months ago, my girlfriend and I, of two and a half years, decided that it was time to end our relationship. Now, there wasn't anything especially wrong or unhealthy about our relationship, nor did this have anything to do with a lack of love for each other. The reason that we broke up was actually because God told her that we needed to. Um, and when she told me this, it may have taken me a couple of days, um, but I ended up agreeing with her. It was clear that God has someone else or something else for the both of us. So um, we then spent the next five hours sobbing with each other as we slowly gathered our strength to say goodbye. Sharing about this today, it really seems like I was making an extremely mature, godly decision um, where I was so, so clearly giving him all power and all control. But I can promise you that, 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 it never, that this decision I made has never once felt like that. Rather, this decision I made has sent me into a deep felt depression full of overwhelming sadness, loneliness, and fear. Just because I am suffering from it, though, doesn't mean that God didn't ask me to do it. And I think the enemy really wants to convince us otherwise. Yeah. You see, right now, I am learning what it feels like to give God all power and all control over my life. So far, all I've learned is that it rarely actually ever feels like I'm giving it to him, even if in actuality I am. For me, what it does feel like is hope. I hope that God is going to show up in this. I hope um, that what he wants for me is best, and I hope that even though I feel completely out of control of my life and circumstances that God has me, that he loves me, and that he isn't forsaking me. Giving God control right now is putting all of my hope in him, because it isn't in my control to get out of this depression or to be free from my anxiety. Um, all I can do is hope that God will help me. But... There is one thing um, that's missing that turns this hope into actually giving God control. Romans 8, 24 through 25 says that for, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Amen. Most of the time what it means to give God complete power and control simply means waiting. And I'm going to repeat that for dramatic effect. <laughs> Most of the time, what it means to give God complete power and control simply means to wait. And you can't wait without hope. And it's a lot harder to have any hope if you're trying to do the waiting alone. So to close, I want to challenge you to do exactly that, to not wait on God alone. For me, this has looked like two things, talking to a therapist and being extremely vulnerable with the people that love me. So to end, I want to end with a very brief question. What does not waiting alone look like for you? Thank you. My name is Anna, and it's an honor to be up here today. I wanted to start by asking you a series of questions. If you'd be so kind to raise your hand if you identify with any of them, that'd be much appreciated. 
Now casting all judgment of ourselves and others aside, how many of you ever assumed something about a situation, got worked up about it, and then later learned you were wrong in your assumption? Never. <laughs> I hear laughter. <laughs> um, how many of you have gotten upset about someone not meeting your expectations, only to realize you never communicated them to him or her? How many of you ever found yourself conjuring up imaginary scenarios in your head to make sense of a confusing event or interaction with someone? How many of you, during a dark night of the soul, dark night of the soul, ever found yourself stuck in a cycle of thoughts that made you question your worth or your identity in Christ? Thank you so much for doing that with me. Again, my name is Anna, and by trade, I'm a therapist. All these things we admitted to are all experiences that everyone has from time to time. What's tricky though, is if it happens in excess because it can skew our perceptions of reality and create dysfunction within ourselves and in our relationships. Today, I want to briefly talk about the impact of our emotional health on our spiritual lives and some tools that are available to all of us on our journey. We'll see how these tools can not only help us work through common scenarios as we just saw in the questions, but also build greater emotionally healthy spirituality. So, like most of you, I've had my fair share of ups and downs and curveballs thrown my way. I actually received the call to become a therapist as I pursued emotional health in my own life. Through my studies, training, and of course, in my own counseling, I grew to become passionate about mental health and supporting people in their time of need. So, underneath the major life stressors that usually brings people in for counseling, You'll find that most of the time, there is simultaneously some level of a struggling inner thought life. I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. You can't trust anyone. I'm not valuable in my community. These are all examples of deep-seated negative thoughts that become beliefs over time that people carry around about themselves and the world. It can be subtle how it happens, but the impact's detrimental um, because our thoughts have the power to drive our emotions and how we live our lives, and of course that impacts our spiritual lives and our communities. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, we can pull that up, thank you. Apostle Paul writes, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I can say that I see people experience the power of taking thoughts captive and submitting them to Christ every day. Supernatural healing can occur when we combine the inherently authoritative word of God, which has power, and psychology tools. In my career, I've worked with a number of survivors of human trafficking. A common core belief they often come in with is that they are worthless or dirty. They don't feel worthy of love and they feel their trauma defines them. Over time, however, with, of course, a lot of inner work, I've seen survivors experience freedom from the lies of the enemy as they, ch as they challenge and replace the lies with the truth. God's word reveals to them that they are, in fact, so worthy that Jesus died for them and nailed to the cross any sins they committed and those committed against them. And by his stripes, they are healed and made pure and unblemished. And that is the power of the gospel. I actually want to share today some practical steps for how we can all take thoughts captive and submit them to Christ's authority. So one, if we pull, thank you. So one, we want to tune in to ourselves. What am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? Two, identify the lie or negative belief you subscribe to. Write it down, speak it out, 
Take away its power by exposing it to the light. Three, recall and replace the lie with the truth. What does God say about me in his word? And lastly, pray. Ephesians 6 puts it very clear for us to put on the full armor of God and to always pray. The spiritual battle is real, and many times that battle manifests in the mind. We need to be equipped to fight the right way. Now, please never forget that this is a journey. No one is perfect, and it's okay when we struggle with it. There may be seasons um, when we feel overwhelmed or intimidated to look inside of ourselves, but God is never going to be afraid of our thoughts or our sin for that matter. He sees and knows you in your most unfiltered form, and he loves you immensely. And there's no darkness within us or around us that God can't cover with his light. And with that, I want to end with Psalm 139, 11 through 12. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Thank you. Erica Olson. This topic of emotionally healthy spirituality is very important to me. I want to share about self-worth and how emotional health has strengthened my spiritual life. My journey began about 16 years ago. I knew Jesus then, but I didn't really know his heart or understand who he was in my life. At that time, I was in an emotionally abusive marriage. My ex-husband would use words and actions to manipulate me and my emotional state. I had low self-worth. I was putting all my energy and identity into worshiping this man like he was my God. I had no idea who I was. He had so much power over me that I was left feeling worthless unlovable, unwanted, afraid, and confused. I thought I deserved to be treated like garbage. I got to a point that I was in so much pain and hated myself so much that I prayed that God would just let me die. I reached out for help. I started seeing a therapist and began attending a women's therapy group at a church. That was the start of discovering my true identity, that I am a new creation of infinite worth in Jesus Christ. But this would be a journey, not a one-time revelation. One of the first things I learned in therapy was how to set boundaries. Boundaries are good. They can help bring clarity and focus to your well-being. Sometimes when we're trying so hard to love someone in an unhealthy relationship, boundaries are even more difficult because there's this fear of rejection. When I was first learning to put up boundaries, I had to force myself to do the opposite of what I thought I wanted. I slowly got stronger. I had to deal with my past and figure out how I even got here. The book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality says that awareness of yourself and your relationship with God are intricately related. 
When you can differentiate and know your true self, you can hold on to who you are and who you are not. Many of us that struggle with self-worth may not know how deeply we are loved by God. Robert McGee's Search for Significance is a book that played a part in helping me see myself, how God sees me. It asks this, when God considers you, do you think he knows who you truly are? If you think of yourself differently than God thinks of you, who is mistaken? You or God? We can go right to the word of God and see what he truly, what he says about us. Because we have been justified through Christ, we are fully pleasing and totally accepted by God. That means we are free from the fear of failure, rejection, punishment, and the pain of shame. Because of Christ's redemption, you are a new creation of infinite worth. Therefore, you can have self-confidence, joy, courage, and peace. Colossians 2, 9 through 10 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. I met my current husband Moses online about 12 years ago. <laughs> On this dating site, you had to start with personal essay questions for one another before being able to direct message each other. My first question for Moses was, how do you know if you're emotionally healthy? <laughs> Can you believe I asked this question? <laughs> This might sound intense, but it was a big deal to me after all the work I did. The question didn't scare him off. He understood I wasn't messing around, and he appreciated the depth of the question. He told me he took the time out to work on himself. Clearly, I liked his response. <laughs> I really want to encourage you that you are complete in Christ Jesus. Take the time for yourself, love yourself, and get healthy, because it will truly make a difference in all of your relationships. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.